This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barties and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Welcome back to an episode of the CW Spiral. Usually we launch right into CW news, but there actually isn't any for once. I mean, there's some flash news, but we can cover that when we get to what we're watching. So today I'm very excited that we're doing Michael and CW's Multiverse of Madness, because uh, there are a lot of connecting threads when it comes to CW shows, more than you'd think. Uh, so, and we're going to launch into that this episode. Y'all have no idea how long I've been waiting on this episode. So, so excited for it. Um, Yeah, to celebrate the release of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, we decided to go back and look at the original TV multiverse and where it all started with our beloved CW. Shall we start with with Dynasty's multiverse? Yes. The six degrees of Dynasty, as I like (laughs) to call it. There, um, I mean... When it comes to the CW's multiverse, obviously it's not like the show that you think of, but because I'm a stan, what else am I going to talk about? Um, There are so many connections in this cast just based on the guest stars they have and the people that they've brought into this cast. Um, Because if anybody didn't know, it's developed by Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage who have created shows like The OC and Gossip Girl, and they've brought cast members from those casts back in. And um, there's also connections to like One Tree Hill, as we've seen with Daphne Zuniga and Desperate Housewives when Nicola Sheridan Sheridan was on for a hot minute as Alexis. But I think the biggest um, connection there is Melrose Place because of Grant Cho. And although he didn't appear in the CW's Melrose Place, um, a few others did. And the other person who started in Melrose Place on the CW was Katie Cassidy, which is our our end to the real CW multiverse. Yes, yes. Our conversation about the CW-verse uh, quite now evolves into the, our conversation about the Arrowverse. Of course. Yeah, I feel like you can't talk about the multiverse, the idea of the multiverse on screen without talking about the Arrowverse. I do think we're in now in an era of like Marvel multiverse where that's going to be maybe the defining one for the next decade now that they're finally doing it. But let's not forget our roots. Let's not forget where we started. It all started on the CW with uh, the uh, with the multiverse being introduced in the Arrowverse. And if that had not been successful, we wouldn't be here now for, with Marvel doing it. I don't want to assume, I don't want to judge, but they did it so well that now the concept of the multiverse is such like a mainstream thing. And back when the Arrowverse started it, it wasn't. So I did consider wearing my Doctor Strange cape and quiffing my hair off <laughs> to take y'all through a trip through the multiverse, but we'll just use my words instead. <laughs> um, so your nice little Arrow connection is a great place to start. Like, where do we start when you talk about the, the multiverse, oh, well, the CW-verse, but we're going to keep calling it the Arrowverse now. Um Arrow, obviously. Uh, it all started back in 2012, just as a little show about a man with his bow and arrow. But it changed dramatically as it went on and gave us what we now call today the Arrowverse. We all watch at least one Arrowverse show, even though one tries desperately to pretend it isn't one. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've 
watched these shows now for almost a decade and to see the world they've threaded together is just insane. And we mentioned that it started with Arrow, which is technically true, but it didn't really start until The Flash came about because The Flash introduced Earth 2 in its second season. Time travel was the big thing in The Flash season one. So they were like, how do we top that? We bring in the multiverse. And there was a character from Earth 2 that showed up. And that character just so happened to be the previous the villain from season one, but a different version of him from a different dimension. And over the course of the season, you find out about how there were Earth 2 doppelgangers from this Earth and how Earth 2 had a different look than Earth 1. And then uh, throughout season two, you also see multiple characters from the Arrowverse appear as alternate versions of themselves. You had Caitlin as Killer Frost from Earth 2. You had Ronnie return as a Death Storm instead of Firestorm. Feels quite relevant talking about that now, but we'll get to that later. Um, you also had the Cisco. Uh, uh, there was a version of him uh, called Reverb from Earth 2. Um, and my favorite, Arrow's Black Canary, Katie Cassidy, uh, showed up as an Earth 2 version on The Flash called Black Siren, who would then go on to become a hero on Arrow. But that's basically where the idea of the multiverse started. And I remember Grant Gustin being on interview shows describing how it's confusing and how to go with it and how you'll eventually understand it. And even myself as a comic book fan failed to understand the concept of the multiverse before seeing it played out on The Flash. So it is really interesting seeing something like that come together. And I, I, it, it's, inter- it's going to be interesting to see how Doctor Strange pulls it off because now the idea of the multiverse is such a sh- mainstream concept and back then it wasn't. But I think the thing that really helped the notion of the Arrow versus Multiverse take off was Supergirl. Because Supergirl existed or aired on CBS and the networks were reluctant to do an inter-network crossover that could get too confusing. So they just thought it would be safer to set Supergirl on another Earth. But because The Flash was dealing with multiversal travel, they could have them cross over for one specific episode. So I know when we start churning numbers of Earth side, it can get quite confusing, but they decided to decree that Supergirl was set on Earth 38. Why Earth 38? Because Superman debuted in DC Comics in 1938. So that's why Supergirl sat on another Earth. That's why Earth 38 was the option. Can I ask my first stupid question of many? Please go for it. I don't <laughs> want to talk for this long. So go for it. How many Earths are there? Yes, this is a very good question. Um, <laughs> The explanation has differed over time, but the current thesis is that it's infinite. There's an infinite amount of possibilities. Anything could happen. That stresses me out. It does, it does. (laughs) Because, of course, it just goes back to what basic humans, human what if questions, because everyone's always like, what if there's like a parallel dimension out there where I'm this or where I'm that, or I'm a completely different version of myself. I think the most fun thing about the multiverse and in particular the Arrow versus version is that you get to see multiple versions of these characters. Certainly some of their stories line up on different Earths, but like you could be a, a hero with a supersonic scream on one Earth, but you could be a villain with a supersonic scream on the other. That's how similar they can be. But on others, it could be totally different. Like someone is a police officer on one Earth and someone is a, a teacher on another. That's how like simple it can be as well. Little changes, big changes, anything can happen. And you, you did get to see that play out, particularly on season two of The Flash. But I don't think the concept really took off in the way that it ultimately would until they decreed that Supergirl was set on another Earth. 
Um, the next spin-off was Legends of Tomorrow, and it's a pretty easy one to follow because it's basically it's basically started as B characters from both Arrow and The Flash. There were no Supergirl characters on it, so that was set on Earth 1 as well. So now we have Arrow, The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow all set on Earth 1, and Supergirl set on Earth 38. So again, the idea of the multiverse was out there, but it wasn't that big, big, big of a thing unless they needed heroes to cross over, which brings me nice. Oh, yes, exactly. Which brings me nicely to the crossover conversation. Um, We we, had done Arrowverse crossovers before, but the first big major Arrowverse crossover was Invasion, where they brought the heroes of Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl together to battle aliens. The Earth-1 Arrowverse had never dealt with aliens before, so they decided to recruit the Girl of Steel, who had dealt dealt with aliens all the time on her Earth. They had Barry pop over to Earth-38 and grab Kara and said, we need your help. She popped back over to Earth-1 and they created this four-part, three-part, I can't remember, this huge major crossover where all the heroes of the Arrowverse, they're just as Zeke, if you will, battled aliens. It was huge, it was groundbreaking, and... It was the start of many crossovers and more multiverse hopping as the shows went on. As the shows went on, they started to like bridge the gap between the multiverse and that it didn't seem like it was far away, that far away. The Flash was able to do that with the character of Cisco who could pop between wormholes. So like even an episode of Cisco, uh, even, sorry, even an episode of The Flash where Cisco was battling someone, he'd like open a wormhole and pop through it and suddenly end up in Cat Grant's office from Supergirl. And then he'd be battling his doppelganger and then we'd go back through the portal and you'd end up back in Central City with The Flash. That's how easy multiverse hopping got for the Arrowverse as it went on. And it was a oh, nice little way. Yeah, exactly. It was a nice little way to bring the other shows into it without having to bring any of the characters into it. So that was pretty cool. So it, it, it continued through things like the crisis on earth X crossover. It was about an earth where the Nazis won world war two. And it was like, so they had evil Nazi doppelgangers of Supergirl, arrow and the flash who just so happened to be the reverse flash because we did evil Barry before we don't need to do that again. Um, and but that kind of dealt with it, like in a kind of like, a, let's do this as a standalone movie kind of thing. Let's not think too much about it because those, those, her- those villains were from another earth, but they came to ours so that you didn't have to think too much about that. The main thing they were building towards, and this is amazing how it all worked out because it wasn't planned and it fell into their lap, was Crisis on Infinite Earths. There you go, Infinite Earths. There, there you go. Uh, that was the big turning point that they've been building towards for years. And it all started with the first episode of The Flash when a newspaper from 2024 talked about how there was a major crisis on the horizon. It was supposed to be set in 2024, but since Arrow was out in prematurely, they decided to bring it forward five years and set it in 2019 instead. And like you think without Supergirl being set on another Earth on another network, that would never have needed to happen. That would maybe never have happened in the way that it did. Because the funny thing is Supergirl ended up joining the rest of them on the CW anyway. And if Supergirl had started on the CW, it would never have been set on another Earth. That was just a decision by CBS to make the crossovers more easy without having to watch the other shows. But Supergirl did join the other shows on the CW. Uh, It was started being filmed in Vancouver so the heroes didn't need to track back and forth to LA and Vancouver to film crossovers. They could all just do it now that they were on separate sets to, beside each other. And But Crisis on Infinite Earths was the big thing. We finally arrived in 2019. 
the big crossover everyone's been waiting for. And that explored the multiverse in a way that no other crossover, no other show had ever done before. And you talk about why is the show set on that earth? Why is the show set on this earth? Crisis on Infinite Earth basically explained that. What, how they did that, they paid tribute to the entire DC library. So it would, they could really have a lot of fun with it. We, we explored other Earths we'd never seen before. For example, Earth 90 was the same Earth that the 1990s Flash TV series was set on. You said 90? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Earth, <laughs> Earth, I'm still going, wait till I start whipping off these digits. Um, <laughs> Earth 89 was the same Earth where Batman 1989, the Tim Burton film, was set that even brought one of the cast members back to uh, pay tribute to that so we sit and read in the newspaper and there are the bat signals in the background and the skies turn red and he looks up and says oh i hope you're watching big guy a reference to michael keaton's batman from that movie earth 66 now this was a fun one earth 66 brought back burt ward from the 1966 batman tv series and it showed him walking his dog down the town yes the bat hound walking his dog down the town as the skies turned right turned red and he shouted holy crimson skies of death so it was really really <laughs> his pen tribute to every dc project oh my God. um uh Earth 19 was the same Earth the 2019 Swamp Thing was set on. At rest in peace. So good. Um, Earth 9 was the same Earth the Titans was set on. So these shows that aren't connected will never be considered Arrowverse shows got to make brief cameos within the Arrowverse because you got to see what Earth they were set on. Um, so long story short, Crisis on Infinite Earth is about how an evil being called the Anti-Monitor wants to wipe out the entire multiverse. So, and he does that with a wave of antimatter that wipes out everything. And instead, it started on Earth 38. And, but all the, all the other heroes on Earth 1 knew it was going to happen at some point. They rudely decided not to tell Supergirl. So she was sitting standing on her Earth thinking, why is my Earth falling apart? Because none of her besties decided to tell her that the crisis was coming. So they all showed up on her Earth and a war for the multiverse started. Crisis was used as a way to kind of reboot what we knew about the Arrow versus multiverse because it is confused. And I, if I start chatting Earth 90, Earth 89, Earth 38, Somebody will say, what does all this mean? Why, why is Supergirl sat on a different Earth through her other heroes? Why are the other shows, Batwoman, which I forgot to mention, was also sat on Earth 1? Why are all these other shows sat on Earth 1? And why is Supergirl the odd one out in Earth 38? Why is there a Superman on Supergirl's Earth? But why is there no Superman on the Earth 1 with the arrow and the green, fla- uh, the ar- the green arrow and the flash? Why, why is this? Well, Crisis kind of made, simplified it a little bit, but it made it a lot more complicated beforehand. Um, so basically, the multiverse ceased to exist as we know it. The first Earth to go was Supergirl's Earth. Earth 38 was totally wiped out. They tried to get a lot of people off it and off the 7 billion from that Earth. They managed to get 4 billion to Earth 1 before the crisis started. Other Earths were then wiped out. Earth 3, who Jay Garrick from The Flash lived on, that was wiped out. Earth uh, the Earth 20, Earth. 230, 203, Earth 203, which uh, Birds of Prey, the TV series, was set on. It was wiped out. Earth 167, which oh small... <laughs> <laughs> You're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Earth 167, which Smallville was set on. That was wiped out, eh? we, and, but not before we got a little cameo from Tom Welling and Eric Durance as Clark and Lois. Um, that was wiped out. Uh, so basically, all the Earths were wiped out, leaving just Earth 1, 
And just as it looked like they were going to save the day, the anti-monitor pulled a twist and wiped out Earth One. The only people who survived were the seven paragons, of which some of the main Arrowverse heroes were. So like the Flash, Supergirl, uh, Jean from Supergirl, uh, the White Canary from Legends of Tomorrow. Lex Luthor, um, so, so main, strange, uh, an abundance of these familiar but strange Arrowverse characters survived. And it was up to them, the seven Paragons and Oliver Queen, who had become the entity known as the Spectre, to stop the Anti-Monitor. They successfully did that and they used Oliver because Arrow was about to bow out. They used Oliver Queen to reboot the multiverse. So then we could officially call it the Arrowverse. And that's exactly what he did. He rebooted the multiverse. We had a new Earth. But all of the shows now exist on the same Earth. So that was the biggest change when they came back. After the crisis happened and everything was wiped out, after Oliver rebooted the universe, Earth One, as we knew it, continued on. But it was now called Earth Prime and it was attached to Supergirl. So National City, Cat Grant, everything we learned about Supergirl's first season of being existing on a separate Earth now existed on this new earth with the rest of her shows, which made crossovers incredibly easier. Unfortunately, there were no more because they decided to end Supergirl. So there was no point in that whatsoever. But another show, Black Lightning, which was only an arrow show in them, it didn't exist on the same earth. They used Crisis to bring Black Lightning onto the same earth as the rest of his shows, or the rest of their shows. But again, what was the point? Because Black Lightning ended as well. So... The biggest, biggest, most important thing from this new Earth, this new Earth Prime, which is called, is that the heroes now think that there is no more multiverse out there. They don't know that there's a new multiverse. And the new Earth 2 is where Stargirl is set. So if there's ever going to be any kind of future crossover with Stargirl, we can now explain that Stargirl is set on the new Earth 2. The old Earth 2, we explored in The Flash. We know that's the home of Black Siren turned Black Canary, but that doesn't exist anymore. The new multiverse now has Stargirl's Earth as being the new Earth 2, but none of the heroes know it exists. So bringing Supergirl to, the, to Earth 1, Earth Prime, which it's now called, was the biggest change from this new multiverse. However, what it also did was reboot a lot of those character stories, like Superman's, who we now know in Superman at Lois, has an incredibly different story than the one we knew about Superman at Lois from Supergirl. Pre-crisis, Superman at Lois's child, Jonathan, was a baby and they raised him in Argo City in space. Post-crisis, Superman at Lois have two adult sons or teenage sons, one of which is called Jonathan, the other one which is called Jordan. They never went to Argo City to raise their children and obviously they're more, they're more veteran heroes than they were portrayed as on Supergirl. So Crisis ended up becoming a really good excuse for them to reboot stories they weren't happy with. Like now they don't have to explain why Supergirl was on another Earth. Now they don't have to explain why Supergirl consistently had Superman be treated kind of like in wrestling, we use the term jobber, which is the person who goes in to consistently lose. Supergirl kind of ended up treating Superman like that an awful lot because it wasn't his show. But now that he has his own show in Superman at Lois, he is portrayed as the triumphant Superman or world's greatest hero that everyone wanted him to be in the first place. So, and another big change, for example, Lucy Lane. Pre-Crisis, which also watched the first season of Supergirl knows Lucy Lane 
was uh, was part of the army. She was also ended up working for Cat Grant at Catco. But post crisis, Lucy Lane's life didn't turn out like that. She ended up uh, falling into, uh, under uh, Ollie Alston's spell as part of a cult. Ew. So even exactly. <laughs> so even though Jenna Dewan portrays her, so it's the same look, just like it's the same Superman, just like it's the same Lois. Her story is significantly different. The Earth Prime story of Lucy Lane, Superman at Lois, is extremely different to the Earth 38 story of Superman, Lois, and Lucy. So there is a lot of differences, and this is being used as a way of maybe explaining away the Arrowverse while also acknowledging it, because we've all watched Superman at Lois. We know it's kind of reluctant to reference the wider Arrowverse, but there have been a few subtle nods to it. For example, when John Henry Irons arrived from his Earth, right before the, the, the evil Superman was trying to uh, bust through his aircraft, you saw that Earth was wiped out by a red wave of antimatter. No one talked about it. No one needed to talk about it. But Arrowverse stands like myself, who know the backstory, was able to say, oh, look, a reference to Crisis. Because Superman at Lois won't acknowledge Supergirl through dialogue. It does occasionally subtly reference it through thematic things like Crisis, through special effects, and obviously then through the introduction of John Diggle, who popped up at one point in time and actually referred to Oliver Queen and the rest of the heroes. So hopefully as the show comes towards the end of season two, we will get that reference, that nod to Supergirl that we hoped. It, it, I mean, like it's long overdue at this point. Um, super, so it's important to just, before I wrap up my multiverse talk and then take questions so that I don't have to keep talking, <laughs> um, before I wrap it up, basically this is where we're at now. There is a multiverse out there, but none of the heroes know it exists. Super, the events of Supergirl now exist on the same Earth as the rest of her Arrowverse heroes. The events of Black Lightning now exist on the same Earth as the rest of his Arrowverse heroes. It's called Earth Prime, not Earth One anymore. And it basically, it was a cool way of bringing all the heroes together. There is a new multiverse out there. Stargirl is set on Earth 2. I think the Christopher Reeve movies, the Superman movies, are set on Earth 96. Uh, Titans is still set on Earth-9, that never changed. So all those properties that were wiped out by the wave of antimatter and never knew it, like the Titans, they died and never knew it and came back thanks to the heroes saving the multiverse. But all those properties that still exist out there, they still exist. And my favorite thing about the, the idea of DC bringing this multiverse into play is the fact that every DC property ever is technically an Arrowverse adjacent property now. So you could go to Earth 75, it maybe meet Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. You could go to Earth 89, it maybe meet Michael Keaton's Batman. You could go to Earth, well, a very grim Earth that meet all the Snyderverse heroes from the Zack Snyder movies. You, you, all those properties that don't exist within the Arrowverse technically still exist without it. And that's really cool to me. So I do hope before the Arrowverse, as we know it, comes to an end, we do get a few more crossovers like that because that's really cool to think about. Of course, the biggest one that came in crisis when Grant Gustin's Flash ended up crossing paths with Ezra Miller's Flash. So that just proves how wide the multiverse is, how it can reach, uh, how it can reach any heroes from any property, and. As a Marvel fan, I'm excited to see what they do it do with it as well. We've seen it happen in Spider-Man No Way Home already. We're going to see a heck of a lot more happen in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But 
I don't want us, as we move into this exciting new era for Marvel, I don't want us to forget where multiverse on screen started and DC did a bang up job of it. It wasn't perfect, but my goodness, did they make it succeed in the end and bringing it, bringing this five, six year story to a head in crisis, rebooting it and now letting that launch new shows like Superman at Lois that still feature the same heroes we know at love, but new versions of them. I just think that's really, really exciting. And even as the Arrowverse, as we know, it started to buy out. I hope they continue to use it to bring in new heroes, new projects, and maybe some old heroes who we're quite familiar with. Because literally, I, I, I don't over, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, the possibilities are endless. We, we love the multiverse. We stand the multiverse. It's confusing as heck, but I can't wait to see what else the multiverse gives us. And I hope my Doctor Strange moment was worth it. But that, my friends, <laughs> is the Arrow versus multiverse. When we say the CW-verse, we do refer to all those shows that exist within all the superhero shows that exist within the CW's Arrowverse, Multiverse, whatever. But I, the reason I will never stop calling it the Arrowverse is simply because Oliver Queen rebirthed the multiverse before he died. Spoiler alert to those who haven't seen Arrow. I'm so sorry. How um, dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was called the Arrowverse pre-crisis, but it earned its name Arrowverse post-crisis. So... CW-verse didn't stack, won't stack, it will never stack. I will be talking to, every time I talk about the multiverse, I will be talking about the Arrowverse. Um, and before this turns into another rant, because I know we'll be ranting later, I will give it back to you. <laughs> that, my friends, is the Arrowverse. Yay, Michael, I love that. <laughs> and I love it because, you know, it reminds the people that the CW is out here and they've been making pop culture what it is today. So if you were like, they're not doing anything with like DC TV on CW that's worth it, I'm like, please just turn on the television or at least, <laughs> like subscribe to Netflix and watch the darn shows. Like you'll figure it out as you keep watching them. But that's just me getting on my soapbox because I don't appreciate the way that CW gets dragged when it comes to DC TV. Mm-hmm. You can drag them for a lot of things, not that one. And we do. Um, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I feel like that's our job at this point. We love them, but also they can't escape the dragging. You got to hold them accountable. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I don't, um, let's see, questions. Okay. Michael, do you have a favorite crossover event for the Arrowverse? This is very interesting. I've done rankings of this and usually the top one changes, but I did recently rewatch all of Supergirl, which meant I rewatched all of the major crossovers that she was involved in. Hmm. And I think my favorite one would actually be Invasion, the very first Mm. one, because it was so cool seeing her meet all the other heroes for the first time. Of course, she was familiar with The Flash, but she got to meet arrow she got to meet the legends and um, she got to see what earth one was like and that also introduced aliens to the arrowverse which if you're watching legends of tomorrow season six you'll know that aliens are a big part of that so it just it was really cool to finally see that happen there are other crossovers that have like bigger better grander moments like obviously you can't you can't talk about the crossovers without reference in crisis on infinite earths but it kind of went on so long there were like a little deviations here and there that a lot of people thought did this need to happen or whatnot? But 
don't get me wrong, seeing people like Kevin Conroy, who voiced Batman on Batman the Animated Series, finally get to actually be a version of Batman in live action. That was so cool. So Crisis holds a special place in my heart for what it was able to accomplish. But I think as a more coherent story, Invasion sold it for me. And you, you'll probably get maybe about five other people who feel the same way. But just I, that was the prime of the Arrowverse. And that to me was literally the prime of what these shows could accomplish. So seeing it together, seeing them all together for the first time, that was that was a moment in time. So I, I, I say that would be my favorite, definitely. What about you? Same, actually, uh, uh, because it's the best example of all of them being like super friends. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of, of course, plot was driving the story, but there were so many different like character moments for all of them to have. Um, like you have Oliver being prickly, but he still wants to protect everyone. And you have Car being super excited to be around everybody. And of course, I love Super Flash so much. So whenever Barry and Car get to interact, I love it. Um, and I just felt like it was the most cohesive they had been um, in a crossover that involved multiple shows. And perhaps that is because it did not take five nights to complete the story. Um, But I just think, of course, it was a younger version of the Arrowverse. So there was a lot of um, energy and fun and they weren't trying to be so grandiose because they they knew what their budget was. Like we weren't trying Mm -hmm. to top ourselves because we had, that's the first big crossover. So it wasn't like, what do we do next? How do we top ourselves? How do we do better and better and better? They were just focused on telling a story. Yeah, it was very fresh and not not that the other ones weren't, but I know you and me personally have issues with how Crisis on Earth X ended. Yes. Um, yeah, um, Elseworlds was kind of, kind, of from my, kind of more of a goofy tone, which it worked, absolutely worked. It was great. And the legends weren't involved in that one, which was weird considering the goofy tone. And it obviously introduced Batwoman, so that was cool. And then Crisis on Infinite Earths kind of did so much you can see where some of the shortcomings were and there were budget concerns with characters who were involved who shouldn't have been and characters that should have been involved who weren't. So I think the most flawless crossover was definitely Invasion. Mm, for sure, for sure. Also, wasn't um, Crisis on Infinite Earths, didn't they happen that like part two happened in another year? Isn't that the one that they split up? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, um, I think they, they did the whole mid-season finale thing with just one installment of Crisis. So that's what it was built towards. There was that big, like, incredible moment where uh, it wasn't at the anti-monitor, did the whole, like, Undertaker thing. And the whole yes. way of Rider with everyone on it was vanquished, just out of existence like that. And you were left with, like, what happens next? And you did, you, it, it ended the year, you had Christmas, and then you had to wait until the middle of January for the uh, pickup. So that was such a great cliffhanger. And but I think it started so strong. The second aspect, the second part of it weren't as good. So it kind of set it up for failure there. Even though it was marketing wise, it was genius. Make his way after Christmas. It worked great. But yeah, again, I think the most cohesive, the best narrative envisioned for me, definitely. How essential are these crossovers? Like if I decided I wanted to binge watch Supergirl and I get to a crossover, do I have to, and I get to an episode that, did I already say that? I don't know. I'm my mind is spinning with multiverse stuff. <laughs> but if I get to a crossover episode, do I have to like pump the brakes on my Supergirl binge and hop to like Arrow and the Flash or whatever? Or can I just like go all the way through? Or like, are they standalone episodes? No, some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, for example, Invasion, there wasn't a cruise or Supergirl installment. They, they had the, the, uh, the mid-season finale of Supergirl ended with uh, Barry and Cisco popping up on her earth and saying, we need your help. And she's all like, what are we up against? But if you just, 
if you just didn't watch the crossover and moved on to the next episode of Supergirl, you'd just have the mid-season premiere and that cliffhanger would never have been dealt with. So after that, what are we up against? It actually says to be continued on The Flash. Can't remember what episode it was. You need to be continued on The Flash. So you would then have to pop over and watch the three-part installment, which takes place across uh, The Flash, Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. Because since it was set on Earth 1, it used the Earth 1 shows. But so... You could skip that one. It doesn't affect the Supergirl continuity whatsoever, but something like Crisis absolutely would because the Super, Supergirl installment ends with Earth 38 being wiped out. And if you just watched that installment and then moved on to the next episode of Supergirl, there'd be no reference to the multiverse. There'd be no reference to Crisis. The other heroes are how Supergirl's Earth came back after it was wiped out of existence. And then maybe like six episodes down the line, someone would refer to how the events of the Flash take place on this Earth. And you'd be like, hold on a minute, no, they don't, because you would have needed to have watched the episodes of Arrow, Legends, Flash to understand the continuity. So having rewatched all of Supergirl recently, it's kind of impossible. You can watch it without watching the crossovers, but continuity-wise, it won't make sense the more it goes on, if that makes sense. You'd have to Google too, though, Reed. So like, if you were watching Supergirl, um, in the later seasons and there are crossovers, the episodes that she's in for the crossovers aren't actually in her, her season. So if you didn't know the order in which the crossover, then you'd be searching all through like, is it on, is Arrow first? Is the Flash first? Where do I need to go on Netflix to find out which episode is next? So a fresh Google or a visit to Bam Snack Pal uh, will get you those answers. <laughs> get the plug on. <laughs> they should have done it like, like a Goosebumps book. Like in the end credits be like, now go watch Arrow season four, episode three to see the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would absolutely been more informative if they told you what episode to watch. Because of course you saw the ratings for all, all the crossover installments went way up across mm-hmm. all of the shows because obviously everyone was tuning into all of them. But like that's very on the night thing. At the end of the day, most of the eyeballs that go on these programs are going to be A, worldwide and B, uh, in the years that follow it. And they might not know to flick over to Arrow. They might not know to flick over to Legends of Tomorrow or The Flash. So yeah, it can be very confusing once you see that, like, what are we up against to be continued on The Flash? And you're like, but what episode? It was just going to be very hard to follow through. I think my favorite ones, though, are when they just do the one show to the next show. So um, for instance, when Flash pops up on Supergirl um, from his show and they have like a little rapport and then he pops back onto his and you get right back into the action or when they used to do the um, Arrow and the Flash crossovers, it was mm-hmm. just those two. So you knew it was like a two night event or a two hour event. Um, so that was always fun. I feel like the, the bigger the crossovers got, as amazing as they were, the less sense that we um, ended up in. And now we're even, we're just full of nonsense. I don't, who knows what exists and who doesn't, like, how's it gonna play out? We have one, two very old Arrowverse shows. Are we gonna tie up the knots? Are we not gonna tie up the knots? What's gonna happen? I don't know. Exactly. And it has, uh, you're right. The bigger, the bigger, the better, the grander, the more confusing. That's just the way it was. That's the way it'll always be um, because there's so much mythology to deal with. And I do have to say, my personal favorite crossovers outside of Invasion might actually be the two standalone ones that Supergirl and The Flash did, because they were so fun. For the first season of Supergirl just had a standalone episode where The Flash accidentally breached into her Earth. And so 
Supergirl had to help him uh, get home, but not before he helped her deal with the two bad guys on her Earth. So it was quite an interesting team up there. Grant Gustin actually flew over to LA to make that one happen. Like, that was really nice. And then on the other hand, you have the musical crossover. They did two or three seasons down the line. Of course, there was a cliffhanger on Supergirl where Darren Chris popped up. It was all like, I'm going to go get the fastest man alive. And then you had to flick over to The Flash to watch that. But like, obviously- Did I hear Darren Chris? Yes, yes, you did. I just like did. perked up. <laughs> That's my he, man. <laughs> he, pl- he played the music meister uh, on the, of in the universe. Like, well, who else would he play? <laughs> exactly. Um, and so it was a bit of a Glee reunion, obviously, because he was the villain in an episode that starred two Glee stars and Melissa Benoist and Grant Gustin. Look at that um, multiverse. The Glee exactly, multiverse. Exactly. Yes. I mean, there's so many Glee stars in uh, the Arrowverse. Felicity's ex-boyfriend used to be one of the warblers. Um or somebody else that I'm blanking on. And of course, we can't forget the good old hotness who uh, was also a no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but before we go down that uh, rabbit hole or multiversal breach, let me go back to what I was saying. And the musical crossover was the one of the best episodes because not only you got to see the musical talent, it was just so fun and goofy and lighthearted, which is what Supergirl and the Flash are. And you didn't, ha- you weren't bogged down in mythology here and there. And they even find a way to get an arrow, uh, one arrow star on it because John Barrowman popped up the f- in the musical dream sequence. They they find a way to get a Legends of Tomorrow star because Victor Garber popped up in the musical dream sequence. So it was kind of like a crossover of all the shows, but it was just a crossover between Supergirl and The Flash. So that to me was probably the most, uh, the best, I'll just go with the best use of getting all these characters together, but in a far less confusing setting. It was standalone. It was one and done. They got in, they sang a few songs and they got out and it was just a lot of fun in general. And it kind of like, it it benefited the Flash and Supergirl's overall story without getting too confusing with multiverses and stuff like that. So yeah, sometimes it was the, the, the smaller they were, sometimes the more cohesive they were. So just from a tone standpoint, I don't think they ever got better than the good old Supergirl and Flash standalone crossovers. I would agree. I mean, duet um, is super, super fun. Mm -hmm. Um, They managed to uh, really work well with Melissa and Grant's chemistry while still focusing it on the fact that the two of them are having romantic problems Mm -hmm. and they're trying to fix their their relationship. Um, And there's just something that's very exciting about the two of them when they're on screen because they're excitable around each other and they get to have very goofy moments. I remember the first crossover with them that took place on Supergirl, um, I think it was back when the Flash was still being goofy, but they weren't at the levels of ridiculous goofy that they had entered in like season four, I think it was. But like Grant showing up in a battlefield where it's like mostly women and he goes, let's handle this like women. He's like, what? I'm with you guys. I mean, exactly. yeah, remember me. That was such a great joke and I loved it. Um, and when uh, he, he and, uh, and Cara were very excited about ice cream. Like and yeah. their metabolisms and explaining what the multiverse is uh, was super great. I just think I want before the Flash goes off, if Melissa is like willing to do it, I want Supergirl to come on the Flash one more time, just one yeah. more. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that because I think that's the, that's where the big crossovers get in the way of the little relationships. We talked about how characters who should have been in certain crossovers weren't in them, and that made no sense. But also, on the other hand, there are so many unique dynamics that were brought in via the idea or the concept of a crossover, like Supergirl and The Flash, Besties for Life, such an infectiously joyous relationship to watch on screen. And they got a few moments here and there for the right crisis, as they should. But Supergirl ended 
and there was no goodbye moment. There was no this is it. There was no farewell super flash. And I get Supergirl ended on an uplifting mo- a note that it, the adventures are still going on out there off screen. So she didn't need to say goodbye to Barry, especially now that they exist on the same earth. But it would have been nice just to have in Supergirl's final season one moment between the two of them because that's one of the most important relationships in the Arrowverse. And Supergirl kind of by, or, it tipped its hat to all the report, important relationships on Supergirl but completely ignored that one. And it would have been nice to have a little reference to that. And I do hope before the flash ends, we get to see Kara pop up one more time on it. And dare I say, I'd probably even want that more than seeing her appear on Superman at Lois because the super flash friendship is so important to both characters. They need to make it happen. This is the second thing that we're like, respect Kara Danvers and her relationships with the other Arrowverse heroes that aren't on her show uh, because they need to. I am kind of, done with them ignoring Supergirl. Like, I didn't like it in the beginning, and now that we're moving further on, it's like, but she was very important. She made, like, her show was very, very important to the Arrowverse as a, uh, as a multiverse, uh, and we need to, before we wrap up the Arrowverse, before we say goodbye, hopefully we're not saying goodbye like, completely, she needs to come back or be referenced um, or the relationships to be acknowledged. We love those relationships, so we shouldn't ever bow out and not acknowledge them. Exactly. It was like, it was just me, why are we ignoring Supergirl? Oh, she said on another Earth. Then they bring her into the same Earth. Now, why are we ignoring Supergirl? That was post-crisis. It's like they always have an excuse for ignoring Supergirl and she deserves more than that. So it would be nice just to get a couple of references here and there. And I'm sure Melissa would be up for it at some point. Couldn't she come on Superman and Lois? Aren't they like... Besties, cousins? Not in this current version of Superman and Lois, apparently, but we're going to get answers um, at the end of season two if I sound oh, besties right. because I am. <laughs> I <get to laughs> reference her on the show. And yeah, exactly. And that's it. You like the, the final installment of Crisis on Infinite Earth was set post Crisis, and Kara and Clark were bestie cousins at this point. So if that universe had been established, that status quo had been reestablished, they do know each other and they, they are in each other's pockets. They do work together. Why is Superman at Lois, which is also set pro post-crisis, completely ignoring her? That doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? You can't say, oh, they teamed up pre-crisis. We know from the final installment of Crisis that this teamed up post-crisis as well. So the constant ignoring doesn't make sense. So I do hope we get like a good answer in the season finale. Maybe she has her out of office reply on and she's on vacation. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's so simple. Like, just, <laughs> she was off Earth, y'all. Like, yeah, okay. exactly. According to the Flash, she, her, she was off Earth uh, during the Armageddon crossover, which is why she never popped up on that. So that's all Superman always needs to do. Just say she's off world. <laughs> Please, and we're getting to the end of Superman and Lois. So again, hopefully it is the whatever reference that they make or if she actually appears, I would like her to appear, but if she doesn't, like the reference, please be good. Like explain this to us. Speaking of Superman and Lois, the Bizarre World episode was amazing. Had no doubts, had no doubts. I was glued to the screen, but I didn't expect to get so angry while watching um, Bizarro World. Bizarro John and I are not friends. Like, I need him to treat people better. I know. I feel like, okay, like, can I just say Jordan Alsace did such a great job as uh, Bizarro Jonathan. I know when when those first sad photos came out and everyone was like, OMG, they're going the whole Superboy of the 90s route uh, where he had the T-shirt, the red pants, the smoky eyeliner and the earrings. Like, 
it's, it was a look. And not only did he pull it off, he pulled off the characterization really, really well. It was like, you did start rooting for him at the start. And then as you saw that villain story play out and how he, how he turned and all the things working into it, it was really great to say. And I'm kind of glad it's not just a one and done story for the character and that he's now on our earth. Here we go again with the multiverse references. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait. Now that he's on Earth Prime, I can't wait to see what that leads to because my goodness, what, what a character that was, what a performance that was. And I'm kind of, look, we haven't had this kind of Arrowverse uh, two character synergy in such a long time since no doppelgangers can exist on the same earth anymore but the mirror or the the bizarro world is not a, a parallel earth so that's okay but to see the two jonathans interact across from each other i'm really excited to see that but like what what an episode from an aesthetic standpoint what an episode from like a standalone standpoint with i question one of the best episodes superman and Lois has ever done confusing at times because obviously it did the whole character reset let's tell it tell it let's tell you their story and they did the whole like batman and robin kind of intertitle telling you know letting you know which character was next but my goodness i love that episode from start to finish it was so good i'm not gonna lie to you guys i didn't know what was going on but i was living it was great <laughs> the they really committed to that aesthetic it was like cruella the the new cruella mm-hmm. and like it was giving that, what were they doing? They were at like a movie premiere or something, or like they're on a red carpet. I don't know. It was giving Britney Spears lucky music video. I don't <laughs> know. I loved it. But yeah, I had no idea what was going on, but I didn't mind because everything looked really cool. <laughs> it did. It was like budget, <laughs> like especially yes. the first like five minutes when it's just Clark flying through into um into the bizarre world and Mickey pops out and he's like, hmm, Red Sun, also Cube Earth. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun when they do an episode like that and it was the same with the uh the superman origins one we saw last season uh a brief reminiscence in between cataclysmic events what a beautiful title that episode had um but uh it's really interesting because yes superman and lois is filmed in vancouver just like the other shows but it's obviously filling that and like in, in the countryside and with hence the farm and everything so it's really cool when they get to do an episode set in the city and you get to see all those same buildings that appear in all the other shows, but you can tell the, the difference in the way it's shot. It never looks like it's the same city. Superman always takes such a great care with its cinematography to, to give it that movie-like feel. And it looked even more, even more unique from this through that like reddish lens they went with the, the, the whole episode, seeing the sights there was no expense bird as far as like visuals went. It was so cool to see all that, to see the cities, to see the farm with the red sky, to see the, the emo like outfits. It was, it was such a unique experience and watching the whole thing. It felt like I'm glad they made us wait for that episode. Cause even though it absolutely helped the main storyline in no capacity whatsoever, because it was set on a different earth, it was just so much fun just for it. Like that felt like you were watching a comic book, but yet it also had the heart and the drama that Superman and Lois is known for. So I, I'm, I was glad Superman and Lois got to put on like the comic book hat because they rarely steer into that territory these days. So it was just, it was like, it was like watching a short movie and like what a movie it was. Sure, for sure. So to um, piggyback off of what you said about the comic book thing, they always do it for their special episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love the attention to detail that was in this episode, like you mentioned, like the red um, lens that they used, but also it would go away when there was no windows. 
So mm-hmm. of course, when you're on the Kent farm, it's super red. Um, but the minute you step into a bar or an enclosure where there are any windows, you, it looks like it would normally look if you're mm-hmm. watching Superman Lois. In fact, actually, I think it looked even a little brighter, more crisp um, mm-hmm. when, you, when you were in those sequences. I just, they did such a stellar job. And it really, really was on Jordan Elsess's shoulders to carry this episode. Because yes, you have Bitsy, you have Tyler, but it's his episode. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the emotional weight of what's going on is um, threaded through him. Even it with Clark's, our Clark's reactions to him. It's it's him telling the story of what happened. Like we're seeing everybody else's perspectives, but it's, a lot of it seems to be through um, this Jonathan's perspective. Uh, and it was so, he did a really great job. <laughs> he just truly did carry the weight of this episode. Um, I am going to need for them to respect Bizarro Lois. She was there to get yelled at the entire time. And I was like, can she get an ally? Can she get a friend, please? <laughs> yeah. And she did have one great moment, which I thought was incredible. And I have to credit both, obviously, Tyler and Betsy. This sounds like any other episode, but I really do have to credit the two of them for the performance. That scene outside the farm where Cal and Lois were roaring at each other and like Jordan was just like sitting there in the car in the background that was a great and that was a powerful scene and Bizarro was uh, we all connected with Bizarro because it was such an unusual character but it was great to connect with them on and like an emotional standpoint because you finally got to see what he was going through the pressure on his shoulders but more ha- more so how he did things wrong and he was very arrogant at the start of the episode it was like he was like what kind of route are they going for here and then just uh, you, re- you really did feel for him in the end because he was desperately trying to redeem himself. And I think all in all, he kind of has, even though the story's not over yet. And just the emotion behind that scene between the two of them, what great performances. That's amazing. Uh, the, you could see the contrast between them and the Clark and Lois that we know. And how Lois seemed to actually be somewhat the same, not as very take charge as Lois that we know, but still very vocal. And that fight, was amazing, especially because, you know, the undercurrent is he's an addict and he mm-hmm. won't he won't even acknowledge that he's an addict. He just keeps talking about all the pressure that's on him. And it's like, narcissist, please <laughs> like listen to your wife and your children. But I get, though, at that point, everything was slipping away from him. He lost one son. Now Lois is taking his other son and she's leaving, too. And he's being left alone at the Kent farm. And I'm I'm going to assume in this universe, both his parents are gone, too. So then you just have um, an alone Clark. And what does Clark look like when he's alone? He looks damaged. And he, he struggles so much to, to really find connection. I feel like that parallels the Clark that we do know, though. Because mm-hmm. our Clark is very community-driven and very much about the people, protecting the people that he loves and making sure that they feel um, taken care of. And this Clark did not respond the way that he needed to respond. And you can see what happens when you do that. Your family like basically crumbles in front of your eyes. Yeah. And I feel like that was one of my favorite parts of the episode that you got to see his relationships with everyone and they kind of crumbled and fell apart because as we know, Clark is such a community driven person. One of my favorite parts, and I'm eager to get here, uh, Reed's thoughts on this was uh, the kind of like relationship that built up between him and Talro. It was nice to see like such like a, a brotherly bond Um. I, I knew we'd all like, well, maybe not you, Serena. I knew we'd all like when we find out he was going to be back. Um, uh, but I, it was so, because I know they've kind of been teasing a redemption for him throughout season two. And like, we have definitely been getting our fill of him because he's like popped up every three episodes, even though he's not a regular this season. 
but they've kind of been teasing that throughout the main arc that he will redeem himself. And now we saw what a redeemed Tal Ro could look like in this world. He was he was close to Clark from the very beginning. He was so nice. You got to see how he fell for Lana. And then he had that pivotal moment in the end where he just like wished Lana away. It was like, go save your son. And seeing him in that role makes me excited for the real Tal Ro to do that at some point in time. But yeah, what do you think? Were you, were you happy to see your man back, Reid? I, when I tell you I gasped, <laughs> was not expect. I never expect him to pop up. And when he does, it's always like, it takes me, takes me back. Um, yeah, I love that. I was, con- I mean, the theme of me in this episode was I was confused, but you know, I didn't ask questions. I was like, sure, he's back. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> Did you like his whole connection with Lana? I'm assuming she's the bar, either she's the bartender, bartender, waitress. I don't know. I was hoping she owned the bar, but did you like the two of them? I don't know. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> I don't know. It progressed. I'm undecided. <laughs> yeah. It progressed very quickly, but I was like, that's my two favorite characters. <laughs> uh, it progressed very quickly, but it was, it was uh, can I just say it was so great to see Lana as Superwoman. I kind of wish we got a little bit more of that. Um, it was so cool just to see her. Uh, we, we've talked about how they keep her apart from the, uh, the comic book version of the story. They always have her involved in more realistic stuff. And as we know, she, the, the newly crowned mayor, it, it, I can't wait to see what that arc holds for. But it was, just, it was really nice just to see her getting down and gritty with the comic book aspect this, this, this week. Um, the outfit, everything. It was just so nice to see her involved in that story. There was no questions. There's no when's Lana going to find this out. She was fully in tune with everything from the beginning. And it makes me excited for when that eventually happens on the show for her to be involved in those stories. Because my goodness, it was just, what, what a hero. It was so great seeing her like that. It was. And I think we're getting close to perhaps Lana finding out or being told, I don't know, that um, the preview that they showed for the next episode as, hmm. Because <laughs> I was like, Lana, Lana looks like she's about to be wearing some information about the Kent family. And I'm very, very excited for that possibility. Like, please let it happen. Uh, yeah. I want to see her reaction. I When I watched that trailer, I, there's a scene where I think she is she walking off from Clark in the same coat mm-hmm. with the same scarf and the same hoop earrings that she did that famous storm off from Kyle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we're getting a big Lana moment here. So I wonder, will she find out? And I, will she find out via the wrong means? Is there something else going on? Why, do, why, why is she storming off from Clark, who she's literally never had a bad word to say about since the beginning of the show? So that's really exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what comes next. And I say that both as a fan of the previous episode, but also just an excitement to get back to the main storyline. I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes next. And that dynamic is probably one of the most exciting ones for me. Thankfully, there's not a break. So we do actually get to see it again on Tuesday. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I know, but I don't want to think about that break, except for like, yay, Naomi fans, because you get yes, two hours. Yes. I'm happy for them. <laughs> How many episodes do we get until the next break? I, the Naomi finale is pretty soon, isn't it? I think, is it? Oh, May 10th. It's on May 10th. So we get one two. more episode. Oh my gosh. We get one more episode for a one week hiatus. I think it's then back for one or two more weeks and then it'll take another one or two more weeks one so that it can earn its finale at the end of June. Okay. I'm going to have to binge watch this season on HBO Max <laughs> when it comes because I'm like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> oh my goodness. What, two, two months to earn five episodes? There'll be a break or two left. Where do you say? Oh God. Okay. Well, 
I mean, I'm not happy about that, but we, we're, we're getting there. We're getting to the end. Not that I want season two to end um, at all. I, it's so good. Obviously it has to come to an end, but there's a show that I really want to just get to this darn finale, please. Um, and that is The Flash. And Michael, you know that this episode and I don't entirely agree. However, I do want to caveat by saying it's not because it's not a good episode. It is. It's because the season eight story, they needed to pick. Either we were going to focus on Caitlin this season or we we're going to focus on Iris. You can't do two major storylines at one time. And that is what they're trying to do. And it's not working at all. Yeah, I, I'm, I feel like I always say that I feel like a conversation with you guys wakes me up. And after what Reed pointed out last week, it's really interesting to hear even a description of the episode because like there's us talking about the main uh, the season, the main storylines and the two main characters involved in it. And the main character from the show is not a lead in any of those storylines. That's my biggest issue with the season. Both stories, mm, maybe I'm lying. One of the stories they're doing very, very well. And that is the Caitlin Deathstorm story. You finally feel like there's stakes in that story. Caitlin's at the heart of the storyline that isn't silly. And uh, we're finally going to see Frost step up after she got knocked on her backside again this week because I treat that character with some respect, please. But we're finally going to see Frost step up. That's exciting for me. And I don't have any, I do have complaints, but no major concerns about that storyline. They're doing it fine. The time sickness one is really worrying thin. They finally made some progress. So I will give them that. But this storyline is not that interesting simply because it's not being treated in an interesting way. Iris is falling in and out of existence. And meanwhile, Barry's, Barry's sitting getting pep talks from Joe about Caitlin. I'm like, dude, your daughter and your wife, both, you guys, she's literally dying. And you guys are just like having happy go lucky. You can beat this monster, Barry. I have faith in you. Like, it doesn't add up for me. So again, it's the need to separate those two stories is killing the show because both storylines have momentum. The time sickness one could have a bit more, let's be honest. But you, you pointed out really, really well. And that's that these two storylines could both work as main storylines and being stick, stuck in the same episode together day in, day out is killing the momentum of both of them. The uh, Deathstorm story could have had a little bit more stakes and you could have seen Kramer and the police trying to uh, stop the people from dying. That scene where they told the dead body or the people to stay inside, otherwise they become roasted dead bodies. Was it, that was great, that really heightened that this grief monster will continue feeding on grief, so just be careful. The scene of Deathstorm literally lifting that poor grieving man up into the sky and dropping his flaming dead body on the ground, that added stakes that we haven't seen in The Flash. I just don't think the stakes of the dead people are not taken into account in the show, so even when he burns like four people, it's still let's save Caitlin, and of course it's important to save Caitlin, but it's like the deaths don't impact on these heroes anymore, and all deaths should carry weight. Speaking of which, we're apparently going to lose a major character next week in a huge death. I have no idea what to expect from that. I have no idea who we're going to lose. Worried about what that means for the show, because I don't think any of those four main characters should go five main characters and really not that interested in the other characters but since Eric Wallace introduced those characters since Eric Wallace built those characters up I don't think we're going to lose one of the newer characters which is a shame for me because the show could afford to lose one or two new characters it can't afford to cool. lose its older <laughs> one sorry it can't afford to lose its older ones I'm sorry um but yeah that's that's my issues with the flash in general 
all in all, I gave the episode maybe a 7.5 or an 8. What they did was great. How they did it could have used some work. But again, of all the offenders we've seen since the show returned, this wasn't one of them. So it was a solid episode for me with some great moments. It just could have been smoothed out a little bit more. It was tense. And I liked the, that there was um, intensity to it. Because I felt like whether I was in the Caitlin storyline or whether I was in the Iris storyline, I was very tight while watching. Obviously, I'm, I'm more tight when it comes to Iris. That's my girl. But I don't know. This juggling thing that they're doing um, is really making me question the season as a whole. Because it's like, but it's because you're trying to do too many things at one time. And I just wish that Iris's time sickness storyline was given the weight that it needs needs to be given. Um, I love her relationship with Sue. That -hmm. friendship is really great. It is odd that a woman that we had not seen her interact with since a previous season, who wasn't even the main one act interacting with her is the major player in her time sickness storyline. Like that whole thank you to your family, use them as an anchor thing. That whole scene was wonderfully acted. Incredible. It's just odd that Iris is in the same city on the same plane of existence and both Barry and Joe are at Star Labs concerned about Caitlin. Not that we can't be concerned about Caitlin, but Barry is very aware that his, his wife is blinking in and out of existence. So much so that when he got the text from Sue that Iris was back, didn't even finish his conversation with Cecile, immediately went to go see his wife, touched her, even though it could mean that he could evaporate. He did not care because he loves her and she want, he wants to take care of her. Iris got to hesitate when he asked her to did, um, uh, she want him to stay, but he still had to go into the other storyline. I was like, this is not how Barry Allen would react to Iris West potentially dying or disappearing from his world. It's just very, very strange. But as in terms of who's leaving, I think it's Frost. I think they're going to cheat because they're going to keep Danielle. And so if you kill Frost off, you still get Caitlin. So it's a it's a major character death, but it's a major character death that they can live with like I, I think we'd have to really be sitting in the rest of season eight mourning Caitlin Snow not that they won't mourn Frost but it won't be the same type of mourning mm. see that's really interesting because I thought Frost was the main character that might die as well especially now they've set her up we're going to get supercharged Frost versus supercharged Deathstorm and like this this is going to be I think this next episode is going to be the finale of this storyline and I'm really excited to see that especially if they're going to start using Frost properly she's been like their ace in the hole that they're just yeeted her away every single time she's shown up like she deserved more than that um so yeah it does look like that but i remember when i posted the tweet everyone's quote tweeting it suggesting that it'll actually be Caitlin because uh, frost has gotten the shot on the posters when probably should have been Caitlin. um danielle recently posted about wrapping the season and posted a picture of the finale script but then posted a picture of herself in the makeup chair as frost so a lot of people are like, does that mean Frost's in the finale? We know Danielle's in the finale, but does that mean Frost's in the finale? I do get it. It's it's easy now. It's absolutely easy to see why Danielle is the one of Danielle's characters is the obvious one to go because it means they can still keep Danielle on the show, but get rid of whatever character. But at the same time, it would be incredibly disappointing for me because I don't think the show can really afford to lose any character right now. And what was the point in separating Caitlin and Killer Frost all those years ago if they're going to say, I can't deal with the stress, get rid of one of them. You're like, you could have just kept them together to begin with. There was no point in that story. 
I would hate it if we lost either one of them. I can see why logistically it would make sense, but this also reminds me of the Arrow Who's in the Grave storyline of concocting a story and then having to write around it instead. I don't I don't want to see more. Uh, some Don't get me wrong, some of the Caitlin and some of the Killer Frost stuff has not been good, but I don't want to see more Allegra, Chester, Cecile screen time when it could be spent on one of the original characters instead. Some of what they've done with Chester, Cecilia and Allegra has been fantastic, but none of it's been given the sticks it needs to be. So I'm not as invested in those characters. I will never be as invested in those characters. I don't want them to die. Let them stay on the show, but I don't want to lose one of the OG characters either. So I'm very, very much in two minds about this. I hope it's not Caitlin or Frost. And I obviously hope it's not Barry or Iris or Joe, but like the way the show is using its characters and abusing its characters at the moment, who knows what way it could go. No, no, no one knows. And I think I'm just going to say it'd be a writing mistake to have it be Caitlin um, because the, her storyline is already overshadowing Iris. How are we like, how are they as writers going to kill Caitlin and that still want the show to pivot to what's going on with Iris? Like we can't have Team Flash grieving. And at the same time, Iris is disintegrating into the still force. Like you just it just doesn't really make sense to me. And then, of course, you have Iris fans worried because of Candace Patton's recent, like mm-hmm. I think it was an Instagram post, where she said, that's a wrap on Iris West Allen, wiping her face. And it looked like she'd been crying. I thought that um, And then the Iris um, trailer door closes. And you're like, um, ma'am, was that a, are you telling us you're not in season nine? Because if that's the case, I'm going to say this right now, I'm not watching The Flash. Um, they've done so much with iris in terms of it sort of being a threat every season that she may not she may or may not get the things that she deserves on the show if she's not in season nine it's a wrap for me too if it's a wrap for iris west allen it's a wrap for sabrina reed it is what it is (laughs) i have to say is it wrong that the first thing i thought of was like no sabrina i need someone to rant to on a weekly basis so please keep watching it No, but that's I, not wrong at all. But I would be <laughs> anger, Michael, just straight up anger every episode. Well, let's be honest. That's what we're doing now anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think it would be a mistake to lose her as well. But they haven't been doing the most with her or like the least or like anything with her at all this season. So I can see why as an actor, maybe you'd want to move on to a more challenging role, which is a shame because the concept of Iris West Allen in the beginning was an incredibly challenging character. And yet now it just feels like the, the writers are honing it in. Let's let's stick Iris in this episode. Let's stick Iris in that episode. But let's have nobody care about her. And like the character kind of deserves better than that. So if they if they're going to do the whole let's save Iris one more time, but even the writing team doesn't clearly doesn't care about it. What's the point in keeping her around? She deserves much better than that. And I hope she's in the season. But I can see why as an actor you might think time to move on now. I could see it too, but selfishly. I want my Iris West. And I think it just says a lot about the flash that like your leading lady doesn't even make it to your potential final season. Like what are we doing? But then again, like you said, they're not really treating her storylines. Like she's the leading lady, like her Barry's not in them. He's in there for like five minutes and then he's got to go over to star labs. I think everyone's getting tired. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess to put like, to wrap this up in a bow, season nine needs to be it. I know we had a poll and like people were divided, but for me, season nine needs to be it with the flash. If this is what we're going to be doing. I don't watch the show and I agree with you. (laughs) I just just want you guys to have peace. (laughs) Go out on a high note. (laughs) Well, it still can. And that's a good way of tying it up because I said a few weeks ago that um, 
the, the new kind of like procedural format the flash has taken on it could go on for years if it wanted to but this isn't about like the precinct solving crimes this story has always been about the characters at the heart of it and the longer it goes on the less those characters will be around so wrap up while you still have at least one or two of them left at this point go out on the highest of highs you can now could have probably gone out on a higher high four years ago but do what you can at the moment because in five years from now you'll not have that option so go out on a high please Michael, are you talking about The Flash or Riverdale? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows at this point? <laughs> not, to be sh- not to be shady. <laughs> uh, yeah, how can two of our shows that are like our favorites now be in this position with us? We're like, please just end well and right off into the sunset. Yeah, it's like, I love you and that's why I need you to, to, to stop it. <laughs> yes. I got the bouquet ready to lay on the grave. I just really do. <laughs> Okay, but to talk about to to end this pod episode with some happiness, our toast is about the cutest darn show on Netflix right now. Potentially the cutest show that Netflix has ever done and the best teen drama of the year. I'm calling it now. Uh, That's Heartstopper. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. The love story between Charlie Spring and Nick Nelson has stolen all three of our hearts stolen i believe fanside entertainment starts <laughs> at this point and um and the internet i mean if you've seen um uh, these boys online they're actors or moments from this scene they're getting retweeted a lot and they're getting retweeted a lot because this is such a cute 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 teen romance drama on netflix to quote lady gaga talented brilliant incredible amazing show-stopping spectacular all the words like it's just it's so it's exactly what we need i think it showed all the other girls aka the networks what they should have done what they should be doing it's just so delightful and pleasant and even in the harder moments in the show there's levity in in it and there's the characters find their strength through all the bullying and mess um but I think that more than anything, it showed that there's room for queer joy. There's room for queer love. There's room for teen joy, which you don't see in teen dramas or teen anything anymore. It's mostly trauma-based. And there is trauma in the show. But I'm saying, overall, it is very joyful. And I think it proved that there's a demand for this kind of story on television, no matter where it is. Yeah, it's like... It's so uplifting. And I think that's the important thing to take away from here. It's so many genres. I can hide behind the fact that it's technically a comic book show as well. So <laughs> I'll say it's the best comic book show of the year. And you know how much I love Superman at Lois. But it's the best, everything it's tried to do, it's done so well so that I could easily see someone saying it's the best this, it's the best that. And But there's such a like simple charm to it and that was I watched it on Friday morning and it set me up so well for the day the weekend the week that followed I'm still thinking about it it's such a wonderful joyous show and it's weird I just with the British talent I would have followed I knew so many people were going to be involved in the show to begin with so I've been sitting watching it come to fruition and it always struck me kind of like as a little show that could kind of thing I never expected it to take off so quickly so loudly and so passionately at such at the level that it has and it warms my heart that it has it's like dominated the world in like less than a week 
And it's just so wonderful to say it's important for representation. It's important for just uplifting dramas. It's important for for authentic representation of queer love. It's just it ticks it ticks so many boxes in the right kind of way, and that it's just so powerful. And to me, that's what television as a medium can do. So all the love that's that's how you do television for me and i think was it reed that you said why would any tv show bother after making yeah. a show like this because the 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 standard the the yardstick the the tent pole has been set how can anyone reach that it's just so wonderful and if you're in in search for a tv show to watch this week that week the other week i know we should be recommending a cw show to you but right now i'm perfectly happy to go off book because this show needs to be seen as by as many people as possible. It's adorable, but more than that, it's important. So please watch it. Yes. yes. And also CW should take notes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. this, like yeah. not even just for that aspect of representation when it, um, it, on so many, like multiple levels, yeah. um, whether we're talking about queer love or queer youth, but youth in general, because I mean, mm-hmm. teen stuff has been okay on, um, on, uh, the CW um, in terms of allowing them to be teens. I mean, yes, it's the home of teen dramas, but let's be real. <laughs> um, they don't really act like teenagers a lot of the time on their shows. They've gotten better over the years. But when you're talking about like teen television that feels like it's for teens, but it does also have a crossover appeal, it's Heartstopper. Um, it's also filled with so many different tropes. Um, that like you like so many different romantic tropes. You have the kiss in the rain. You have you have the standing up on um, toes as they kiss. Uh, there's a whole Cinderella story moment uh, where like because uh, Nick is a jock and um, and uh, Charlie is more like a, a musician kind of boy. And so when you have like the jock running off the field to go see his boy, you're like, yes, I know what this this trope is. <laughs> like I'm so good, glad he gets to have this like magical moment in front of like everybody in the school, especially because a lot of them are turds um, and we're awful to him. Um, but it's it's such a powerful show. Um, not even just because of its representation, just because of its ability to make you happy. Uh, I think that's really important in television, not even just for teen shows, but in general, a lot of the time we're going through through it with these characters. And it's not like there aren't issues um, that Charlie has to go through, especially and Nick. They do. They deal with bullying and homophobia. And um, it's hard figuring yourself out as as a kid, let alone when when um, you come, you're like having a wait an awakening about what your orientation is. And, and what does that mean? And how do you. How do you navigate that in a space where your friends aren't really the greatest, but you find other friends that are really great and understand what you're going through? Um, And I just loved seeing that happen with a romance at the center. I think that's just really, really important. So Netflix, please. I mean, this is a CW pod, so anybody from Netflix probably isn't listening, (laughs) but please give us a season two of Heartstopper. There is more story to be told for Nick and Charlie. There's more story to be told for Tara and Darcy. And of course there's more story for Ellen Tao because they're like the, the lone couple out when it comes to like realizing a romance is necessary. I hope that Netflix sees the potential. Like the show's not going to have Bridgerton numbers and that's fine, but we've seen the impact that it's made. It's a cult favorite show that has the potential of being a mainstream hit. And I don't, I just worry. I think we're all worried about Netflix these days because they are so um, unpredictably predictable or predictably unpredictable. I don't know. Mm -hmm. However you'd say 
and I don't want them to get bogged down by the fact that it's not in the top 10 anymore. But we've seen both of the lead actors hit 1 million followers on Instagram. There's endless tweets every day. People adore this show. And I hope they realize what they have because they have something really, really special. Yeah. Sam, I hope so too, because uh, you, you do see the impact it's made in such a short amount of time uh, that both the actors are on the uh, British talk show this morning. And like the hosts who I would have watched interviewing anybody over the years, literally describing how it went from nothing, it didn't exist a week ago to total world domination within less than a week. Let's be honest, but by the time the weekend started, it was dominating the world. People were talking about it all over. You see the reaction the tweets get online. You see the reaction to it in all the reviews. One of the few 100% Rotten Tomatoes reviewed shows like that is, that's just unprecedented. So yes, the popularity is important, but the story, the timeliness, the importance is even more important. So yeah, I hope we go down a similar route of young royals here and that maybe this show won't be the next stranger things but it's a heck of a lot closer to to becoming that than a lot of people expected it to be so i hope that everything works in its favor and that netflix gives it a second season because like what's the point if you're not going to tell the stories that people need to say and this in my opinion is one of them cw step your game up girl <laughs> yes yes do that we're telling you now <laughs> um but I love that we're ending on Heartstuff again um, because it's just so freaking cute. I mean, it's a multiverse (laughs) episode, so, you know, like talk about a different universe. We should talk about it every week. Just toast it every week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tempted, actually. (laughs) One moment from each episode, we'll talk about it. Um, I don't know, we'll workshop it. Uh, But as for this pod, this is the end of it. It's also our mid-season finale. Um, if we want to call it that, because uh, we are going to be taking a break. Not a long break, though. We will Not as back. long as Superman and Lois. Hell no. <laughs> no, no. Um, we will be back, though. Um, uh, two weeks from now? I think it's two weeks from now. I didn't actually do the date math. <laughs> uh, but so you will see us then. Uh, thank you for listening. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter. Uh, we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.